and I'm Steve Mock. I live in Shanahan, Illinois, and uh, been uh, attending church here for a number of years, um, many different times a number of years. I actually started at this church when I was a baby, and uh, my dad helped build this church, and we attended um, until I was into junior high, high school, went to another church, and then in the late 90s, came back to this church after I was married and had two daughters because my daughters were invited to vacation Bible school at this church, and that got us coming back to church again. I, I stayed at this church, um, obviously didn't stay the whole time, but came back and, and then um, I, I think we just kept coming, I kept coming back here because this was home and uh, this was the church that I felt comfortable in. I also stayed here because, you know, we had many great times here, um, great experiences. It also helped me get through some very difficult times. Um, I, um, I lost my wife in uh, 2008. This just was the place I needed to be to help get through that. There were some great people here to help me. And, um, and then just the, the, the fact that my dad helped build this building, um, that was a important thing to me when Pastor Jared came here and started re rehabbing the whole thing and remodeling and, and it was like it was revitalizing the church again. And, uh, so that helped me, um, you know, feel real good about getting involved and uh, doing what I could to use my gifts to then help others. One encounter that I've had with God um, was actually the day that my wife Donna passed away. Um, that day something happened to me and I just knew exactly what to do every step of the way that day when calling Pastor Eric and calling the family and calling hospice and, and just doing everything. I, I didn't even have to think about it. It was like God was there leading me. And that was just, I, I, I still think about that all the time. I don't know how I did that. It's my belief that um, it, it's God's calling for us to use our gifts that he's given us to help bring others into his kingdom. And I feel like I've been blessed to be able to use my gifts. And, and we all have m many different gifts. We might, might not realize it, but we have gifts. I have a leadership gift, and I have a gift that I can, I can do work on woodworking and, and build things and stuff like that and maintenance around the building. And, and um, so I, I feel really blessed that I've been able to kind of give back and use some of my gifts to improve things around here and um, and do things like leading the the um, landscape project last year and um, helping out where I can with the, the projects around here. Um, being an elder is you know one of the things where I can help use my leadership skills. Um, so 
You know, it's something I just believe is our main purpose here is to do what we can to use our gifts to then help make things better, reach out to others and bring others into God's kingdom. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for uh, thank you for your openness and honesty in, in that. And I got uh, the privilege of watching all the footage. Um, and that was it's just so powerful to, to listen to your testimony, how God has been with you through this incredible disorienting event. I think we can, we've, we've talked about in the last three weeks these disorienting moments. Um, these moments in which our life feels like they're spinning out of control a little bit. Um, this morning... Uh, we're going to talk about uh, when disorientation is your fault. Uh, when David does something stupid and it's, he did it stupid. In no way, shape, or form am I blaming Steve uh, for uh, anything of his disorienting event. I, don't, I want to separate those two. We watch the videos in a vacuum. Okay, They are just to help us get used to being disoriented. So I would, I would hate for someone to take the... Normally our videos are driving home a point of our message. That is not happening today, okay? It's driving home the point of disorientation. All right, let's just get that clear. Um, all of the, the videos that we've done this, this series from our elders have been so powerful to me to show me that even the people, the people who are leading, um, the people that maybe even look like they got it all together, they've been thrown for loops in life. Nobody in this, in this, uh, in this building right now I don't know how many babies in the back. Maybe they haven't gone through a disorienting event yet. But everyone else has gone through a disorienting event in their, in their life. And we think life, we all have these, this idea in our life that life should look like this little, nice little steps and, and just go up and, and deal with it. You know, I'm going to graduate high school. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to meet a, a girl or guy. We're going to get married. We're going to have a baby. We'll buy a house. You know, I'll have this great career. You know, these nice little pl- somebody like deleted a step uh, for me, for my life, right? There's like, whoops, there's trip hazards all over the place. The, the thing they don't tell you about life, about when you're planning it all up, is that at each one of these moments where the step changes, there's actually this happening. Though at each one of those moments, come on, if you were in high school and you were graduating, didn't it feel like your world was ending when you were, sign my yearbook, this is the last chance we'll ever have together stupidest thing ever. However, it's a very disorienting event for a 17, 18-year-old. It feels like your world is going out. And how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to deal with that disorienting event? When you go to college and you graduate, oh, I have life now to do. Well, this is exciting. It's a very disorienting event. To us who've gone through it, maybe it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, it's like, oh, that was the easy one. (laughs) Yeah, but not the moment it wasn't easy. When you have your first child and you're holding it, and you're like, this is cool. I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's a very disorienting event, right? And if you've gone through some of these other things, losing a spouse, losing a child, having an illness in the family, they, they spin you out of control. And how are you going to react to that? And so we've been talking about uh, really how we deal with this dis- disorienting events, what happens with that. And uh, getting a look at one of the most popular, famous people in all the Bible, uh, King David, basically the big three. If you had a Mount Rushmore of the Bible, you'd have uh, Jesus, Moses, David, and probably Elijah. Like those are your big four. They, if you haven't ever stepped foot in a, in a church, 
um, ever in your whole life, you might have even heard of one of those three, right? And David is one of the guys that we've been talking about for the last three weeks. So the first week, um, I would urge you to go back in our uh, podcast and, and check out the last messages. It was really kind of an overview of disoriented. Last week was all about uh, what happens when you're disoriented because something has happened to you. If you've had some wounds happen to you, I'm telling you, go listen to last week's message. Not to puff myself up, but I really feel like God was speaking through that message. Um, please, please do that. And then this week is all about what happens when it's your fault. No one wants to talk about this. I'm glad people showed up because I told, I told you last week that it was going to be about your fault. Um, but what happens when you're disoriented because it's your fault? Now, I'm going to be honest. I've done some stuff that's pretty stupid. I've done some pretty hurtful things. I've done some stuff that really hurt other people. God, uh, God gave me a mouth to be able to speak and to proclaim. Um, but when Satan attacks with my mouth, bad things happen. And hurtful things come spewing out. And so I have to kind of go, ooh, who's got control of this mouth? Who's got control of this life? David was given all kinds of gifts in life. And when he uses and doesn't use his gifts, huge ramifications happen because of that. Today we are in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. Last we saw David, he was running around cave to cave, kind of doing guerrilla warfare, um, and he still was in a bad way. Now he's become king. It's about 17 years later. He's living pretty high on the hog. I don't know where that saying, co- saying comes from, but I thought it was appropriate. Uh, we, he's, living, he's living the dream, and he's in his palace. He's doing, doing good stuff. And he has this huge stumbling block. I'm going to paraphrase chapter 11 for you, and we will take uh, scripture out of 12. Um, I want to urge you to read chapter 11 and 12 on your own this week. I think you get a lot out of it. This is like the Game of Thrones uh, portion of the Bible. And you can be like, Jared watches Game of Thrones. You do too. I've read all the books. I had to watch some of the videos, right? First season, I try to skip over that part, but uh, read the book instead. Anyway, um, that's my disclaimer. Um, it's, this is the Game of Thrones part. This is the really, really intense part. This is what real life looks like. This is, this is the king abusing his power part, okay? So in chapter 11, what you've got going on here is that it starts out with, David did not go out with the armies to war. David did not go out with the armies to war. Now, that I read over and read over. I was like, okay, good for David. The next sentence is he's chilling at his palace. He doesn't say chilling, but you got to understand. He's hanging out on the roof of his palace. He looks over. He's like, how you doing? There's a beautiful woman taking a bath. on. Now, what's she doing taking a bath on the roof of the other house? I feel like something's going a little shady here. But she's taking a bath on the roof next to the palace. And David, because he's not where he's supposed to be, he's king. Where is he supposed to be? Out with the people at war. He's like... Hey, uh, why don't you go get sent her a note? I don't know what kind of love note he sent her. I don't know what happened. I don't know. We don't have, uh, you know, that was not recorded in Psalms for us. But something happens. Bathsheba shows up. Now a little hanky-panky happens. Bathsheba turns out to be pregnant. Bathsheba turns out to be pregnant. The problem with Bathsheba being pregnant is her husband is fighting the war that David is supposed to be fighting. You see a problem. So David, in his brilliance, says, let's give him leave. Tell her ready to come home. He's come on home. We'll give him a little, you know, a couple weekend weekend break from the war. He gets to come home. Be great. Everything will be covered up. Uriah, being a man of character, says, "Hey, the guys 
The foxhole to the right and to the left of me, they don't get to be with their wives. I'll sleep out here. He sleeps outside. He doesn't go into his house. David's like, you can, you can tell, you know, just, I have this mentality of the house is right there, right? He's looking at us, go inside your house. Come on, man. The cover-up's not working. So Uriah, because he's got character, because he's a man of integrity, says, no, 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 I'm not doing this. My men don't get to do this. I'm not going to, nope, nope, nope. Thanks for the break. It's good, but uh, I'm not going in. I'm not, I'm not doing that. So he goes back to the front, send a messenger with a note to Uriah's boss. Uriah's boss, it reads, it, it reads like this. Okay, wherever the fighting is the fiercest when you're trying to take the city, I want you at the key point of the battle to retreat away from Uriah, basically sending him, sentencing him to death. Why is he sentenced to death? Because David is trying to cover up his sin with more sin. And one of the, a unique thing that happens here that I, I really only kind of gleaned from this passage, Uriah is not the only one to die from this. The Bible says Uriah dies and the Israelites around him die. So now, because of David's sin, and then more sin, and then more sin, now there's unintended collateral damage of sin. Not just Uriah is dying, but all these guys. You are their king. They trust you, and you're killing them. And this is what where we find David in chapter 12. So now there's this God-appointed prophet named Nathan. And Nathan gets the wonderful task of walking up to David and telling him this parable about a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man stole the poor man's sheep. And David gets really mad. How dare that guy steal the sheep? He's a jerk. He's going to pay and all this stuff. And Nathan points the finger at David and says, You are that man. David says, whoa, I'm in trouble now. God knows. He knew I've, I've, I've covered up and 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 I've covered up. And we look at it, where did the, this all start? What happened? What, what, what caused all this? David avoids his duty as king. And so when he avoids, when he, he moves away from the calling on his life, from who he is supposed to be with that initial sin, as benign as I just want a vacation this year seemed like, it leads to all of this stuff. Now you go, I don't have a calling on my life, Jared. I'm not supposed to be king or president or anything like that. You have a calling on your life. Every single person in this room has a calling on their life. It is to do this, to love God with everything that you have and to love people with everything you have. So if you can operate under those two auspices, you now have a calling on your life. If you're looking for direction, guess what? You got it. So everything you do, you go, I don't know what job to take. How can you love God and how can you love people in that job? Maybe that helped you clarify something today. Right? Let's Bare bones, basic down. God's got unique callings for different people. He's given us different gifts for further callings. He gave David kingship. But every single person who draws breath, their calling is to love God with everything they have and to love people with everything they have. Simple as that. David steps away from his calling. And from that sin, the snowball of sin starts to happen. Anybody else ever do that? Here's a painful truth. You cannot sin your way out of sin. I've tried. 
But you can't, if you do something stupid, you start lying about it. Now you, ask any seven-year-old, right? Like when they get caught, like, why, just tell me where the Lego went. Like, you flush that down the toilet. Just start with that. Not lie about it. Okay. Sorry, personal things. Um, (laughs) You can't sin your way out of sin. It doesn't work that way. Yet we try it and we try it and we try it. And David tried it and tried it and tried it. Right? It was a small sin at the beginning. He just wasn't doing, he wanted a week off. He was being selfish. It was a smaller sin that led to all kinds of other sin, right? There are points all along this roadmap. He could have stopped. And in your stuff and the things that you've done and the, the dumb things, there was points all along the way. I could have been like, I stopped, right? So instead of being with the army, he's being a peeping Tom, checking out the neighbor's wife. He could have stopped. Right? Okay, that was bad. I'm gonna, second thought, let's get my horse and go off the army. I don't need to be here. Right? That would have been a viable. No one would have like, oh, David came out. Great. Now we got our king here. This is awesome. He turned a bad situation into a good one. I'm going to go take responsibility. I'm going to be the man I'm supposed to be. Nope. He invites her over. Could have stopped. Could have been like, just, just, nope, stop. Nope. Break lines were cut. He takes it to the next level. He could have stopped. He could have been like, nope, 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 that was enough. That, we're done. Oh, I have messed up. Then he tries to cover it up. Once again, he could have stopped. He could have said, Uriah, uh, this is not going to be a fun conversation. But me and your wife, we, uh, we, uh, he, you know, he could have owned it. He could have stopped it. That would have been a very difficult time in David's life. That would have been, but what? He's still the king. Uriah's a Hittite. Trump card, you know. Ace beats king. There we go. We win. But he could have owned it. He could have stepped into that. It'd have been difficult. Not as difficult as it's gonna be. Then he goes further in covering it up. He becomes not just an adulterer, but a murderer. He keeps on covering. He keeps on covering. He keeps on covering. He keeps on covering. You can't get out of sin with more sin. Some of you, in your attitudes, in your moments, you're so desperate to get away from the first sin that you continue to make stupid choices that lead to more and more and more and more sin. That's a pretty big accusation, I know. But I know it's true because I've done it and you've done it. And David, he's supposed to be this model of who a God-fearing man is. He gets the moniker. He gets the title of a man after God's own heart. If the man after God's own heart will fall into a pattern of this kind of thing, then I got a feeling that all of us have probably uh, fell into this kind of temptation before in our lives as well. There are families ripped apart because of David's selfish behavior. All because David avoided his calling, avoided his duty as king, The rest of this happens. It has repercussions. And our sin, our stuff, has repercussions. So we talk a lot about forgiveness, and God does forgive us. God does reclaim us. He creates in us a new heart and washes us white as snow. But there still are repercussions. The baby that is born to Bathsheba and to David dies. And Nathan tells him, he says, listen, you're not going to die, David, but the the baby's going to die. And so from that meeting with Nathan, David goes into his bedroom, basically, 
and starts praying and fasting and weeping. And this is what uh, David is doing. David pleaded with God. This is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 15, uh, 16. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood by, beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died, and David's attendants were afraid to tell him the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to them. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants uh, were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied. He's dead. Then David got up from the ground after he washed and put the lotions and changed his clothes, and he went into the house and the Lord worshipped. And he then went to his own house, and at the request, they served him, uh, served him food, and he ate. This is weird. Like, he's baffled, these people. But while the child was living, David said, you know what? I know my God. I know how he's walked with me through life. I know how he saved me from the lions and from the bears and from Goliath. I know my God. Maybe, just maybe, if I show him I have this repentant spirit, this will be taken from me. It's not taken from me. There's repercussions for the sin. But in this moment, in this time is when Psalm 51 is written. Psalm 51 is the, is the psalm that's often quoted all the time. It's so quoted, it's cliche sometimes. But this, think about it, create in me a new heart. This is the man whose his child is dying. He's responsible for being a murderer, not only of Uriah, but these other innocent bystanders. And he's an adulterer. And so his heart cry, his plea to God in this moment, in this area of desperation in his life, is created me a new heart, God. Wash me as white as snow. Some things here that uh, David does that I think we need to incorporate into our own lives. It's because if we are honest with ourselves, we've been in places where we've gotten ourselves in such a mess, in such a, a, a pile of junk in our lives that we, we, we've tried to sin our way out of sin and it's not working. How do we get out of it? How do we move through this? How do we take the next steps? Where, where do we go from here? Because for me, it's real easy to, if, if I was David, it'd be real easy for me to stay on the floor, right? And some of us, we get tempta- tempted, tempted, tempted to stay on the floor, just to wallow in the mess, to wallow in the crying, to wallow in the hurt, to wallow in all that. But this is what he does. He accepts what has happened. He accepts what has happened. See, knowing we messed up is hardly ever the problem. You know, no, somewhere in our, in our life, we know we're, we're going to cover it up and we're going to like blame everybody else. But, you know, if we're honest with ourselves for a half a second, we're blaming everyone else because we don't want anybody to know that we actually know that it was our problem. It was our fault. He accepts what has happened. 2 Samuel 12, verse 20 to 23. Then David got up from the ground. After he washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. And <clears throat> he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house. And at their request, they served him food and he ate. His attendants asked him, <clears throat> why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now the child is dead. And you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. And I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now he is dead. Why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, 
but he will not return to me. Now, this is it's pretty hard pragmatism. It's pretty hard stuff. Um, but what he does is he accepts it. It's like, okay, this is my new reality. Often, when we're caught in this cycle of sin, we're caught in this stuff that we're in, we have to accept that this is the new reality. This happened. There's no time machine. I haven't found one. There's not something that just lets me go back five years and go, oh, I didn't do that. I've seen a lot of stuff on Facebook right now. If you had a 30-second phone message to send to a, previ- uh, a younger self, what would you say? Like, it's all over Facebook right now. And I'm like, there's a lot of people with a lot of regrets in their life. Like, don't go with that guy. You know, whatever it is. I know he's cute. No. Uh, or whatever, you know, whatever it is. That's mine. I know. I was like, um, whatever that may be like we have this issue. Don't do that thing. We have a lot of regrets. Let's ex- regrets. Let's ex- <laughs> regrets. Uh, he accepted, accepts what has happened. He gets up. It's very tempting to sit in our mess and stay there. David gets up. We get to start to see the caliber of a man after God's own heart in these moments. The second thing he does is he accepts responsibility. Whew, that's tough. He accepts responsibility. He accepts responsibility. This is one of the points uh, in Scripture. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. He's admitting, I know, I messed it up. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me of my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. You see that. He accepts responsibility. I think this is a huge, huge step. He could be whiny and mad and vindictful to God. And a lot of us get there. And I'm not really... I understand that temptation. But what he does is says, I, I know, I, I've got the transgressions. I've got the problem. I've got the stuff. God, will you have compassion on me? Will you cleanse me of my sin? This is a hard step. It's a necessary one. The third step is beautiful and huge. He accepts forgiveness. David accepts forgiveness. He seeks the forgiveness and accepts it. A lot of times we seek forgiveness, but we don't accept it when it's offered to us. Like we, we keep on and keep on asking God to forgive us of something that we happened years and years ago, and he's forgiven us. He says, why are you bringing this back up? I already forgot it once. Don't quit reminding me. I, remi- I forgot it again. We keep on doing this, but, but David accepts this forgiveness. I think this is a powerful moment. In our lives. There's, there's also another key to this is sometimes when we're the ones that messed up, we need to go and ask for forgiveness. There's moments where I messed up being a dad. Just messed it up. Messed it up with Bowen. I haven't messed up with Kendall. Messed up with Bowen. He's too much like me. So we, um, and I was just sitting there and I, I want, he has a, a loft bed. And I grab a hold of the thing and I said, buddy, I'm sorry. Your daddy messed up. Now that's powerful to him. That's important to him. But you know what? If I do the same thing tomorrow, it ain't worth anything. Right? So David asks for forgiveness, and we're going we're to get to that. And this is incredibly important. He asks for 
forgiveness and he accepts the forgiveness. He says, okay, I'm going to be a new man now. I'm going to be different now. I'm, I'm going to be changed. Remember, we're reading Psalm 51. This is a diary of what's happening in his life at this time. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This is a guy that we've talked about the last two weeks that spent a decade or more of his life running for his life. And the only thing that kept him alive and kept him safe was God's providential hand hiding him in caves, letting him go to places where he will be safe. And so when he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation, restore to me that, that time of safety, that time where you held me in your hand. And for some of us this morning, we need to Step into that kind of forgiveness, maybe for the first time or again for the hundredth time. To say, God, I need to be restored. Will you cleanse me? Will you wash me white as snow? Will you create in me a new heart? It's just so powerful. David has murdered. He's committed adultery. He's just kept on making his sin grow and grow and grow. And the heart cry at all is restore to me the joy of your salvation. Create in me a new heart. Cleanse me. Make me as white as snow. Finally, here's the really important part. I already alluded to it. He changes his behavior. He changes his Behavior. How many of us have asked forgiveness from a loved one from God and then the next day we go back to the same stinking thing? Right? The most powerful way to show somebody that you are sorry, that you actually, you know, don't want to do that anymore is the power of a changed life, changed behavior. Don't do it anymore. It's the best apology. I'm just going to live differently. We have people tell us stuff all the time. We got people, they, they can talk, you know, um, there's, a, there's a book coming out about Bernie Madoff lately. And uh, the, guy who, the guy who interviewed him was like, he was really personal on the phone. Yeah, he's real personal. He can talk anybody to anything. That's his deal. But it's the power of changed behavior. David changes his behavior. Second Samuel, and this is, I've never paid attention to this, honestly. Going to be honest, never paid attention to this before. I've read the book thousand times. Second Samuel 12, 29 and 31. So David mustered the entire army and went to Rabbah and he attacked and captured it. David took the crown from the king's head and was placed on his own head. It weighed a talent of gold and it was set with precious stones. David took a great quantity of plunder from the city and brought out the people who were there, consigning them to labor with saws and iron picks and axes. And he made them work at brick making. David did this to all the Ammonite, underline Ammonite if you're following along in your Bible, Ammonite towns. Then he, he and his entire army returned to Jerusalem. What does he do? He, he is the man he was supposed to be in the first place. David and the entire army go out and make war. The, the, pro, the promise to me in this is living a changed life, changing your behavior is going to be war. It is going to be messy. 
It will be hard. It, often. People are like, oh, well, I'm going to change my behavior. I'm going to change my marriage. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have this attitude toward my loved ones anymore. anymore. I'm going to be a better uh, boss. I'm going to be a better employee. I'm going to be whatever it is. And like the first roadblock you run into, oh, never mind. God doesn't work. This is bro- uh, it's too hard. David goes to war. Let that be a lesson to all of us that living a changed life is messy. It is warlike because it's hard. I think it's beautiful who he goes to war against, right? The Ammonites. Who are the Ammonites, you might ask? That's a great question. Thanks for asking, Jill. I appreciate it. The Ammonites are one of the vilest, nastiest people in all of the Bible. They are the ultimate villains. How the Ammonites came to be was from a vile, nasty uh, encounter after Sodom and Gomorrah were, was, uh, was destroyed. So, I mean, it comes out of the nastiest of the nastiest of the nastiest ways that a child can be conceived. That's where uh, Ammon comes from. And all of his descendants followed in suit. They serve a god, the nastiest of all go- nasty gods, Molech. One of the ways in which you worship Molech is when you sacked a town, any pregnant women, you went up to them with a knife, you cut open their bellies, you took out their, their babies, and you sacrificed the babies. Ooh, let's worship that jerk. And so they are an abomination to God. God does not, there's, there's like war and then there's called ban warfare. And, and God, usually Israelites have the best way. If you wanted to be sacked by anybody, being sacked by the Israelites was like, woohoo. They, they have a, until the Geneva Convention, they were the nicest people to be killed by <laughs> or be conquered by. Unless you were under the ban. And they killed everything, including the chickens. And the Ammonites deserve the ban. The Ammonites also attacked the baggage train of Moses during Exodus and kills a bunch of women and children and, and goats and all the supplies. Like, these are nasty guys. And so when David goes to war, he goes to war against the child killers. He goes to war against the war criminals. He's doing what he has been called to do. David has been crafted from an early age to be this amazing, superior warrior. And when he steps into that calling, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Instead of hiding in his palace, picking up sin, picking up sin, picking up sin. And for us, this power of this changed behavior, he goes and and is the king he's always supposed to be. For us, in our moment, in our stuff, in our things, if we look, if we look at it, are we doing? Are we stepping into where we're supposed to be? Are we being the father, the mother, the husband, the wife, the the boss, the employee, just the human that we're supposed to be? Or if we try to to sin our way out of sin, he changes his behavior. He prays for God to create in him a new heart, to wash him as white as snow. He accepts responsibility, but then he doesn't wallow in it. He changes his behavior. And that is what the lesson from David needs to be this morning. David still had real consequences for his actions. Now, David and Bathsheba had another child. They got married, and David and Bathsheba had another child. There's a little-known guy named Solomon the wisest person to ever rule uh, Israel and the wisest man ever to live. There's consequences for the actions, but there's also blessings 
after the forgiveness, after the power of a changed life. For you this morning, I I know there's people in here that have been dealing with this. We've been caught in this cycle of trying to sin our way out of sin. Today, it needs to stop. And today, it can stop. If you want to step into a life that says, God created me in a a new heart. Wash me as white as snow. If that's where you want to be, where you need to be this morning, I ask you to pray with me this morning. God, I have messed up my life. I've done things that I'm not proud of. I'm ashamed at my thoughts and my actions. I want to live a different life, God. Jesus, would you forgive me and be in charge of my life? Would you wash me? Would you clean me? Would you cleanse me? Would you wash me as white as snow? That I could step away from the behaviors and the junk of my past and be made new, be made clean. God, would you give me the fortitude? Would you give me the perseverance? Would you give me the patience to fight the war, to live a changed life? God, give me strength because I can't do it on my own. Give me patience because I can't do it on my own. Lord, let me be a new person, a new creation in you. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen.